Genesis chapter 50, we have skipped over Jacob's instructions to his sons. As Jacob was getting ready to die, he gave some instructions to all of his sons, which end up being a prophecy of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. Uh, after we're done with our fall series, we're going to come back and study those uh, the 12 tribes. The, God gives the history of the 12 tribes of Israel right in Jacob's instructions to his sons. So we're going to come back and look at that. But here, what's going on in Genesis chapter 50 is Jacob has died. Look at chapter one or chapter 50, verse 1. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed, what's it say? Israel. Once you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his in death. Isn't that a blessing? If you haven't been here for this study, uh, after Bethel, when Jacob meets Jesus Christ and God gives him a new name. What what happens to us when we get saved? We're given a new name. Remember that song? There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Amen. So when you get saved, you're given that new name. And Jacob was given that new name. But what we see more than 24 times in the book of Genesis after Bethel, when Jacob is acting in the flesh and he's being a knothead, he's called Jacob. When he's in the spirit and he's doing what God has commanded him to do and he's doing right, God calls him Israel. Wouldn't it be a bummer if when he died, he was called Jacob? Aren't you glad that you are, if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are in Christ. We're going to look at some of that this morning, but let's jump ahead in this chapter and look at verse 14. So what has happened is they've carried uh, Jacob, Israel, back to Canaan to bury him. And Joseph had gotten permission from Pharaoh to do that. Verse 14. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite, requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Now, why were they afraid? He's the second in command in Egypt. This is, the, this is one of the most, he is the second most powerful man in the world. And remember what they did to him. They threw him in a pit. They took his coat of many colors. They laughed at him, sat down and ate and laughed at him while he was screaming for help. The Midianites, they sell him to the Midianites. They carry him and put him on an auction block and sell him as a slave. He's then put in prison. And he's in this state for 13 years. And one of the first things he says to his brothers after he reveals himself to him, actually the first thing he says, he says, I am Joseph, your brother. Is my father yet alive? You know what they think? Now dad's dead. What's he going to do to us? What's going to happen to us? And they're scared to death that now Joseph's going to put them into prison or he's going to have them tortured or he's going to do to them what they did to him. So now let's look at the text. And I got to tell you, 
Is there anybody here that will confess with me this morning? That you're kind of vindictive. Anybody here? One, two, you liars. All right, here we go. You know, I got to tell you, I love revenge movies. You know, where something bad happens and they go and do stuff to them. I like that stuff. And I got to tell you, if this had happened to me, I would have been wanting some revenge. That's human nature, isn't it? And the reason most of us never actually get revenge is because we don't have the power to do it. He has the power to do it. Now, let's look at the text. Verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph. Now, I've got to tell you, we don't know that Jacob actually said this. I get the impression from the text that they're making it up. All right? So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. How many times have his brothers now bowed before him? Let's just just be reminded. Let's go back to Genesis 37. Because this is going to become very important to us. All right? Genesis 37. Joseph, 17, 16, 17-year-old boy. He has a dream. Look at verse 5. Genesis 37, verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And they understood what this dream was. Look at verse 8. They got it. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. Look at verse 20. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become. Of his dreams. Yeah, they're seeing what will become of his dreams. They are bowing down again and they are saying, we are your servants. Can I tell you something right now? God's word is true. If God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Amen. And it doesn't matter what the specific detail it is, what specific detail God gives, that will happen exactly as he has said it would happen. When he gives dates, those dates are going to come true. When he gives a specific person, he says this person will do something. That person is going to do so. It's amazing what God has done. 
And God's revealed it in this text, hasn't he? These, people, these brothers are bowing down before Joseph. Now look at verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? You understand, in Egypt he was. Look at the next verse. But as for you, Now, can you imagine? See, if it was me, I would have paused right there. <laughs> and just make them sweat. Because you understand, whatever he says right there is going to happen. But as for you, ye fought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones, and be comfort. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Do you remember what happened before? Look at verse four, chapter 40. Uh, let's look at chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 5. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. You see, he spoke roughly unto them before they confessed their sin. Now they've confessed their sin. And in chapter 50, it says, And he spake kindly. The end of verse 21. And spake kindly unto them. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to have a true understanding of what's happening here. And that this isn't just something that happened in history though it did, but it is here to teach us something. Father, help us to learn from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to really grasp what's going on here, we need to remember what happened to Joseph. And we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks studying the life of Joseph, so we're not, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. He was sold into slavery. He was put in a place where there's no water. He ended up being a slave in Potiphar's house. He's accused of a horrible crime, ends up in a horrible prison. He ends up running the prison. He interprets the dreams of the, the wine steward and the baker. The wine steward lives, the baker is killed, and Joseph had interpreted their dreams. He's forgotten about by the wine steward for years until finally the Pharaoh has a dream that his, his uh, spiritual advisors cannot interpret. The wine steward reminds him, of Joseph, or remembers Joseph. And Joseph is brought up out of the pit, and he stands before the king, he interprets the dream, and he says, Do not, he says, It is not in me, O Pharaoh. God shall give you an answer of peace. Do not interpretations belong to God? That's what he had said. And so while rejecting any glory for himself, he gives all the glory to God. He interprets the dream and becomes the second in command. But becoming second in command wasn't what his brothers had intended. 
His brothers had only intended evil for him, and now he's forgiving them and giving them grace. So now let me ask you a question. How many of you could do that? Don't raise your hands here. Just let me ask you, how many of you have a brother that you have a problem with right now? How many of you here have a sister that, that, that there's animosity there now? How many of you have a mother or a father or a child and there is, there is strife, there's contention in that relationship? You see, when we read this, what you, what you meant for evil, what you thought for evil, God meant for good. Now, how many of you believe every word of God is true? Believe that. Every word of God is true. So now, in order to really understand this passage, the first thing that we need is an accurate understanding of ourselves. I want you to think about something. We believe, we as Christians those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ alone for our eternal life. We've repented and, and we've asked Christ to be our Savior, acknowledging that He is the Son of God, that He came and lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross, that He was buried, and after three days He rose from the dead, proving that He was and is and always will be God, that He had died for my sin. And so I've confessed my sin to Him and I've acknowledged Him as my Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, none of this other matters. You need to get saved because Christ will speak roughly to you, but he wants to speak kindly to you. So if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, we get our feelings hurt, we're offended, we grow bitter, we develop bad attitudes because our point of view is carnal. It's fleshly. So if Nick, Nick, come here for a second. This is the only way I can keep Nick awake. I'll use him here. So, so here's Nick. So let's say that Nick has been real mean to me and he has, he has hurt me. The problem is, uh, Doug, why don't you come up and stand right here? You want me to really hurt you? <laughs> Be gentle with me. I'm small. I'm timid. All right. And you need man camp. I need man camp. That's right. Here at Grace Baptist Church. We just, if you haven't seen our skit, you don't know what's going on. Okay. So now, really use your imaginations here, okay? This is God. Stretch. Okay. So now, this is, this is the way my carnal mind works. You know what I mean by carnal? Fleshly. Okay. Here, here's the way it works. Nick does something to hurt me. And it could be something really serious. He does something to hurt me. The problem is, here's my problem. The reason this can almost destroy me is because I'm looking at him and not him. Because what we don't understand, this is carnal. He couldn't have taken the breath Before he did what he did to harm me, if God hadn't allowed it. 
How many of you believe that? So apparently what I'm missing is what he meant for evil. And here's the part that, again, we, we really struggle with. He didn't say what he got. Joseph didn't say by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what his brothers had done was right. They had intended and carried out evil. And one of our problems with forgiveness is we think that by forgiving, we're saying that what you did was right. That's wrong. But my problem is my eyes are on him, the one who did the harm, rather than on the God who allowed it. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Stay awake, Nick. Now, why is it carnal? We see the man who hurt us, not the God who allowed it. We see the woman who wounded us, not the God who allowed it. We miss the purposes of an all-wise, all-loving God who ordained these very things for our well-being. You know, it's interesting. I think this is interesting. And I think this is true. Man, I know you guys. I've been your pastor for a long time now. We want to be the forgiving people that God intends us to be, don't we? I think we do. We want to forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. We want to be those people. We just don't want to have to experience anything that needs to be forgiven. We want to be the patient people that God wants us to be. The people that can endure with long-suffering. We want to be those kinds of people without the suffering that is required to become long-suffering. It's like, I think it was either Tom Clancy or Robert Ludlum, one of the two novelists. They said, people say to them often, I want to write a book. When what they mean is, I want to have written a book. They want to have the product without the labor. And that's our problem. I don't know about you. I told Pastor Nathan before the service, I'm a little scared preaching this message. I'm so glad God's not vindictive. Oh, yeah, that's what you want? Okay, here you go. <laughs> I'm so glad because here's the deal. We cannot become the, the people that God wants us to be without experiencing the trouble. It's just the way that it is. Let me give you another analogy. How many of you believe that God is in control? You really do. You believe that God's in control. We believe that until it seems like everything's out of control. It's much easier to believe that, things in are in, in, that God is in control when things are going really well. How you doing? Oh, my God has blessed me so much. Job's great. Kids are great. My car's shiny and clean. Man, it's just, life is good. Republicans are going to be elected again. <laughs> God is so good. So is God not good when Obama was elected? Is, not God, is God not good when the car's dirty? Is God not good when the trouble comes? You see, we need to, if we're going to understand, you meant it for evil, you thought it for evil, but God meant it for good. If we're going to really understand that, we've got to understand us and how... 
And I'm saying us. This is not a you message. This is an us message. We're really kind of hypocrites. Because we want to be the people that God wants us to be without going through what God wants us to go through. And it's so amazing. Um, Let me look at my notes here. When someone wounds me so that I have to learn to forgive, when someone offends me so that I have to learn to be gracious, when someone wrongs me so that I have to learn to be merciful, when someone puts a burden on me so that I'm in a position to go stronger in my faith, I lash out inwardly or I lash out outwardly at that person because they did me evil. And all that shows that my perspective is wrong. My eyes are on the wrong place. We need an accurate picture of ourselves to understand this passage. Look at Job. This will help help us. The book of Job. I think you can find Genesis again. Look at Job. You all doing all right this morning? Job. Remember what's happened. Job's the richest man in the East. Satan comes to God and says, nobody is following you. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. He eschews evil. He's a perfect man. He's a mature man. And so Satan comes. And look at what it says in verse 11. Job chapter 1, verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Fire, the fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And what? What's it say? You see, I want you to notice something. Now, how many of you think Job was having a bad day? None of us have experienced this. Amen? 
Now look at Job's response. And I want us to compare this with you thought it for evil, but God thought it for good. Let's look at Job. Look at his response. Here's what Job said. Verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Chaldeans, or the Lord gave, and the Chaldeans hath taken away. Is that what it says? The Lord gave, and the Sabians have taken away. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Let me just stop right there. There's so many rabbit trails we could go off on right there. This is why there's going to have to be a new heaven and a new earth. Because there has been sin in heaven. Right? So now. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Can we stop there for just a second? I wonder how I would respond to this test. Man, I'm healthy. The only troubles I have... Several years ago, I was going to go see Dr. Edwards. And I said, man, I need to come see you. I said, I've got some stuff I need to talk to you about. He said, I can start filling out the chart now. I said, really? And I thought, you know, he had some great insight. You know, as a doctor, he could just tell. He said, nearing 40. (laughs) Such a blessing, isn't he? Um, Those are the only kinds of problems I have. How many of you would say that's kind of you? Just, you know. I wonder, though, if God did touch my body. I wonder if I'm the kind of person that he could hold up to Satan and say, this man won't curse me. What would it take you to what would it take for you to curse God? What would it take for you to stop serving the Lord? And that's a sobering question. And I don't think we know the answer. You know when we find the answer? When the person's mean to us at church. When someone we love hurts us, betrays us. When things really get hard. That's when we find the answer. That's why we've got to prepare ourselves before the trouble comes. So now, let's continue reading in this text. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 6, Behold, he is in thine hand but save his life. 
So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. The only way he could get comfort. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Isn't she a blessing? Good night. That's a mean woman, man. Verse 10. <laughs> but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? This is such a... Isn't this just the perfect passage to go along with what Joseph said? See, we have to understand that when things come into our lives, if there is an all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving God, there is nothing that can come into my life that doesn't first pass through the hand of, a, of an almighty God. Amen? And so we get so wrapped up in the people that are doing the doing that we don't understand that there's a God behind it that has a plan for my life. Joseph didn't know why he was being carried into Egypt. He didn't know why he was standing on the auction block. He didn't know why he was in the dungeon. He didn't know why the wine steward didn't remember him. But Joseph did not hate his brothers. He believed God was up to something. Do you, remember, do you know what we read all through the life of Joseph? And he remembered his dream. And he remembered his dream. God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. So we need an accurate picture of ourselves to understand this passage. Number two, we need an accurate view of our belief in the Scriptures. Now, look with me at Romans chapter 8. Anybody know where I'm going? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We say that God has a perfect plan for my life, and then we complain about the plan. When God does all things, we say that God does all things well, and then when things don't go our way, we condemn Him. Now, according to this passage, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And i got to tell you, when I'm actually in trouble, when things are going bad, that is the last verse I want somebody to show me. Anybody say amen on that? Yeah. yeah. Why? Because we don't want to believe it's true. Is that verse true? All right. So th that's number two. We need to understand the way that we look at the scriptures. This verse is true until we're in trouble. Here, here's, how, here's how we read it. When the bank account is full, all things work together for good. When there's gas in the car, all things work together for good. When the kids are healthy, all things work together for good. But when things are hard, when the, when the relationship is on the rocks, when, 
when the, the kids are in trouble, when the, the, you lose your job. Do all things still work together for good? So that is, we, gotta, we need an accurate understanding of how we view the Scripture. And then number three, we need an accurate view of what the Scripture actually says. Okay, Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. So, the first thing. Do you know that? And we suppose... We imagine or we know. Do we know this? See, I love seeing these, these young guys up here on the front row. This is, I love this. I want you guys to know this because you don't have trouble yet, you know, except for the trouble that you bring on yourselves. <laughs> right? You guys don't have trouble yet, you know, trying to do a, a, a somersault off the back of the car when it's wet. Noah joins. Right? That was trouble and that hurt, but that's not what we're talking about. What I want you to know, I know all you guys are born again. I want you guys to know that when trouble really does come into your life, God still has a plan for it. I want you to know that. See, we know this. The problem is it's when we don't really know it and trouble comes that we expected something better. You might have had some television preacher who stood up and said, if you send in your money, if you get saved, then everything's going to be great. Jesus wasn't poor. He was rich. He lived in a big mansion. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> the Bible says Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Though he was rich, he became poor for us. Man, these people are just liars. They're just liars. And anybody tells you that when you get saved, you're not going to have any more trouble? Here, just think this. Just remember to quote Pastor Jim, liar, liar, pants on fire. I mean, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. You, know, you must know that when you get saved, trouble's coming. Trouble is coming. So we need an accurate view of what the Bible actually says. So we know. That, that's the first thing that we need to do. And we know. Then look at what it says. That all things work together for good. Now, I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked you before. What does all mean? <laughs> and that's all that all means. Those all things are the job being lost, the cancer that comes, the, the marriage trouble, the, the financial trouble, the relationship trouble, the health trouble, the government trouble, all those things. We better know that. All right? Then, look at what it says. And we know that all things work together for good. Not for everybody, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to the purpose. So, number one, I asked you, do you know? Number two, here's my next question, do you love God? Have you been called to serve Him? Do you love Him? Have you been called to serve Him? If those things are true, then the all things is true. But what are the all things? Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, tribulation works for good to them who love God. Look, look at the next one. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Do you understand that all those things can work for the good to God? 
God has a plan, and it's not our plan. You know, the Bible says that, that Job was perfect, and we understand that perfect doesn't mean he was sinless, but he was mature. He had become the man that God had intended for him to be. But there's something you've got to understand. Don't miss this. Job did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? The Holy Spirit, which is with you and shall be in you. Now, when we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you're just not born again. You are not saved. And once you are saved, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. Amen? That Holy Spirit's important. Job didn't have that. We have that. You know what that means? That we ought to be able to respond the way that Job did. Uh, let me ask you something else. This list of things in verse 35, Romans 8, 35. Do you understand that that describes the life of Job? Perfectly. This describes the life of Joseph. Perfectly. And in each case, in Job's life, it worked together for good. In Joseph's life, it worked together for good. And I think that any of us who look back on our Christian life, we could say, I didn't want the sickness. But if I didn't have the sickness, then God wouldn't have done this. Uh, just, uh, I hope this doesn't become trite. I hope you don't think that it's trite to me. The most traumatic experience that Laura and I have had would be the death of our son, Riley. And I don't think I've ever said this here. But you all understand I wouldn't have chosen that. When I was sitting in the hospital and he took his last breath and I'm holding him, I would not have chosen that. But what I think you guys don't know, I don't know that you've heard this. The reason that Dave McCracken hired me as an assistant pastor was because he was Laura's pastor to that church and he had gotten to know us and he just felt bad for us. That's, that's why he hired me. I wouldn't have heard of Grace Baptist Church in Sydney. When Bill Hovestreit died, they contacted Baptist Bible College in Springfield. I, I wouldn't have had access to that information if I hadn't gone to work for Dave McCracken. So I wouldn't have been your pastor if Riley hadn't died. So many of you folks have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been able to grow in the faith. And then you people have helped me grow in the faith. And you've, you've put up with me as a lousy pastor and taught me how to be better. All of those things. None of those things would have happened if Riley hadn't died. Within the first couple of years of being a pastor here, people lost children. And I would have, I would have been an idiot. You know, I, I got a letter some of the letters we got from people, some of the things people said to us. I had one, one friend, he said to me, yeah, these things happen. I might have said something like that to you guys. God had a great plan for Laura and me that could not have come to pass. If it wasn't for Riley, I would not have chosen that. You know, you get saved. And you get saved in January, and in February, your grandfather writes you out of the will because he hates the Christ stuff. And you can get mad at your grandfather. Why would you get mad at your grandfather? Maybe God knew that covetousness was a problem for you. And then if you had that money, it would ruin you. 
March comes, you start coming to church, you start getting involved with people in church, and you find out they're hypocrites. How many of you were surprised when you found out there were hypocrites in the church? Seriously, you were, you were surprised by that. A lot of people are. They're shocked that there are people who call themselves Christians that don't act like it. And so in March, you, you make a decision, am I going to allow this believer who's not acting right to cause me to leave the plan that God has for my life? Or am I going to learn, you know what, as a Christian, I've got to be careful not to behave that way. I've got to be careful not to treat someone else in the church that way. Then in April, you decide, you know what, as a believer, God has told me that I'm supposed to share my faith. So you go out and you go into Plum Ridge and you knock on the door. Hi, I'm from Grace Baptist Church. I'm Catholic! Right? Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have experienced that? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. And here's what you always do when that happens. Here's what you do. Thank God for counting me worthy to suffer for you. Is that how you feel? No, you want to knock on the door again. I'll show you, yeah. Punch you in the mouth. Now see, God brought me to the right place because everyone in this town is bigger than me, so I'm not going to do that. But... So in April, I learned that, wait a minute, when I'm going to serve God, there's going to be adversity. And so I learned from that, well, then maybe I should just stop trying. No. You know what the Bible says maturity is? It's learning to walk in Christ's steps, right? That we should walk in his steps. How many of you understand that maturity is Christ-likeness, right? So if I'm going to walk in his steps, you know what that means? I'm going to meet a Pharisee. That's going to be a person that is spiritual, but their spirituality is only the rules. And if you were saved, you wouldn't act like that. Well, I hope I never act like that. Then you're going to come across Sadducees. Sadducees are people who just don't, they they claim to be Christians, but they don't believe anything. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Yeah, maybe you're walking in Christ's steps. Then, if you're walking in Christ's steps, you're going to meet some disciples that will forsake you. You might even meet a Judas that will betray you. You might meet some people that their entire goal in life is to lie about you and destroy you, ruin you. You know, there are people that have left this church who have said, I want to ruin that place. First Thessalonians 5. Would you look at it with me? Chapter 5, verse 18. Let's read this out loud together. You all ready? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning everyone else. You know what that everything includes? Persecution. Famine, distress, nakedness, the sword, cancer, mean people, liars, deceivers. In everything, give thanks. I've not won that battle yet. But if I am going to be living in God's will for me, I need to learn to give thanks. Amen? Now... 
we can genuinely understand Joseph. If we believe God, we can say, Thank God I was fired. Thank God for the cancer. Thank God for the trouble. God had a great plan for me. We have to be careful. Some of us, we can trust God to take us to heaven, but it sure is hard to trust Him to take us to tomorrow. If you are saved and love the Lord, then whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in this morning is something for which God would have you give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for your word.